So guys, we're here at Overland Expo West 2022. We have a super special guest with us, Milo. I've just been catching up with Milo here. I mean, you have like the craziest story. Nat Geo photographer. You've had this amazing philanthropical aspect of your career. Where did it all start? It started with really just a crazy idea, honestly. Trying to figure out what do I want to do with my life and how can I make a contribution or a, a meaningful impact. It's you know, not really, a bad place to start. Yeah, it's just like, you know, what am I going to do? And, and as I analyze like, oh, if I do this or if I do that, it just came down to the fact that regardless of what I do, I'm going to probably be helping somebody. And the second thing is I'm probably going to be solving problems in some way, shape or yeah. form. And I think to a degree, we all do that, you know, with our occupations and professions. And a special thanks to Red Arc for supporting this podcast. Looking to upgrade your solar setup or get your adventure rig ready for summer? Red Arc is proud to announce their new foldable solar blankets available in 160 watts, 240 watts, and even 300 watts of power output. These monocrystalline blankets allow maximum energy absorption even without direct sunlight. Paired with genuine Anderson connectors for easy and reliable connectivity. Also available as a kit including necessary cables and a solar regulator for a turnkey solution for those beginning their solar journey. Red Arc's new monocrystalline folding solar blanket panels and accessories are perfect for complementing their existing line of fixed folding and solar blankets. For the ultimate off-grid power setup, pair Red Arc's new solar panels with their already popular range of dual in-vehicle or battery management systems. Featuring next-generation battery charging technology and maximum power point tracking solar regulators, eliminating the need for a second regulator. And with built-in green power priority, it will select solar charging first, which means less of a load on your alternator. Red Arc's line of solar products have been torture tested in the rugged Australian outback and specifically designed for backcountry use where efficiency, durability, and reliability are key to having an enjoyable and safe overland journey. And if I remember, you started off by leading tours in Antelope Canyon and yeah. spending a lot of time out in nature. What was it about those, those early trips and guiding people into that beautiful part of the world that inspired you to take your own photographs? You know, uh, it's a really funny story because um, I grew up, I mean, living off the land with my grandparents. And I recently looked on Google Earth to see like how big the land was that we had to where we had corn, squash, cantaloupe. I mean, just whatever we ate. And you know, it's basically 12 acres. And so you know, I've always been attached to the land from as far back as I could remember because it provided for us. And in the world of photography, it's really funny because the slot canyons are insanely beautiful, right? And so at that time, I would see people, this was days of film, like yeah. 35 millimeter, sure. medium format, four by five, saw an eight by 10 every now and then, but digital, the biggest sensor was like two megapixels. Sure. You know, I was like, whoa, you know. I know. Wasn't the cameras that had the floppy disk that went in? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had one yeah. of those. Yeah. Yeah. Sony, I think, was like the first one that I like, did. like, whoa, I can put my photos in a floppy disk? Yeah. So with photography, it's just like, you know, I see people come in with big backpacks and tripods and flashes, which is real. You never want to use that inside the canyon for anything. Basically, it was like, just say, okay, I figured out like where the nice colors were at. And essentially, I would just say, hey, you guys have all the gear and the light's really cool right here for like two minutes. And then after that, we're going to go to this place over here. And then we have like 30 seconds and then we'll have like 10 minutes over here. Essentially, I just took people to these spots and I said, okay, y'all do your thing. Step back and then go over 
over here. And then afterwards, I would ask them, so how was it? And I always got two responses. Like the canyon itself was incredible, right? Mm. If you've been to a slot canyon, it's it's unforgettable of yeah. like the human experience that people have. However, their experience behind the camera was totally different. Overexposed, underexposed. I couldn't get dialed in. This, you know, as I was struggling. And the ones that had digital cameras, you could see their photos Oh, his tripod was shaking and it was bad and it was really kind of to a degree disappointment, you know? Mm. And so then, um, you know, we're here in Flagstaff and at that time I called um, a bookstore here. I was like, hey, do you have any books about photography? And the guy was like, I've, I've got one coming in. I think you'll really like it. It might be a month or two. So, all right, here's my number. Just call me. And um, I remember I was in the middle of nowhere going to Salt Lake and my phone rang. And the guy's like, I got a book for you. And I was like, crap, I'm going to see this really hot chick. <laughs> My job's on the line and I'm not getting any tips. And, and I asked him, I was like, well, how late can you be? Because from here to Flagstaff, that's like six hours. It's a long way. I'll be, I'll be there around like 1 a.m. He's like, I'll be here. Like, All right. Turned around, went, came back here, got the book. And it's a book about this big. And, it's, and I looked through it. And the guy's like, this is one of the best books you'll ever like. I was like, cool. I opened it and it's like photos and a short paragraph, two liners. And I kept going. I was like, where's the lesson like about the math, aperture, shutter speed? And it was basically the range of light by Ansel Adams. Oh, wow. Okay. And the first page was signed by him. Oh, incredible. Oh, oh. Incredible. And so, and the book, it was like 80 bucks. Sure. And I, I was like, for me, that was expensive, That's you a know? a lot of money, sure. Yeah. So I, I went through, I went through and there was not a single like, here's how you set up your camera or instruction. Mm. However, I, I began looking at the um, his images and then afterwards I, I saved my money again and I went to a camera store in Phoenix and all I could for, afford at that point was a spot meter. Sure. And the guy's like, here's how you use it. Here's how the dials work. And then I just went into the slot canyons and metered this, that. And I worked there for a few years. And so I had note cards like, okay, this light beam only comes in from July 2nd to July 5th at this time. And it's only available for 17 seconds. And that's it. So I was really dialed in. And then the confidence that I had was really kind of scary because it's like, these are people that have a lot of gear. And if I tell them what I, you know, recommendations, how are they going to receive that? You know? So I, I just it's like, Hey, you know, for this next scene, you know, here's probably what you want to do. Go to this ISO, this shutter speed, this aperture was what you got going on there. And let's try that. And then the guy was like, Holy cow. He used other words. Um, you know, <laughs> and then, and then I was like, all right, this guy likes it. I'm going to go tell this guy, Hey, this next spot we're going to go to, we're going to have like five minutes. I'm going to set you up over here. So I want you to rock right beside me. Once we get there, I'll set you up this way. And when we're there, I think these settings are going to help you, you know, and just slowly, slowly at the end of the tours, people were just like, Holy cow, happy, you know, about seeing the place. And then afterwards they pull out their wallet and I got, and you got 20s, the tips. Yeah. 50s, hundreds. I'm like, Oh yeah, <laughs> this is it. I mean, that was really the case. I mean, for the first little bit, it was almost like a year of just, Hey, we're going to go here. Y'all do your thing. We're going to here. Y'all do your thing. Yeah. And then it just turned. And then, um, TripAdvisor was, it's kind of new. And then people would write, Oh, if you go to the Canyon, you got to go with Milo, you know? So if you go look like Antelope Canyon, type in Milo, you'll see hundreds of reviews. Sure. Like to this day, I mean, the last time I was working at the tour shop was probably, gosh, like 15 something years ago. And they still okay. get phone calls. Can we go with Milo? Amazing. It's, yeah. So. That's how it started. You talk a lot about light in some of your articles that you've written and things like that. How do you see light today now that you've now that you have looked at that Ansel Adams book and you've spent all of these years 
photographing. How do you see light today? In the very same way. It's it's a it's a source. There's a range of it, you know. It's it's either really bright or it's really dark. Figuratively, when I go to like photograph like at night or in like the slot canyons where your shutter speeds are, you know, four minutes, eight minutes long, depending on your settings, it's amazing how just a little bit of light can really illuminate the area and you're like, sure. wow. You know, and I think, you know, for photography, that's what it really is, is being able to understand and control light is like my number one objective nowhere no matter where I go to photograph and then secondly it's a reminder that I think we all have a little bit of light and that no matter how bright or how dim I think we probably think it's really dim at most of our lives however even that little bit of dim light just being kind to somebody saying hi how are you yeah. I like your truck or you know you have a cool beard or yeah. you know just something yeah. that is positive and uplifting is like man I really needed to hear something and you just don't know how much of a difference that made for me on my way down to here uh, going through the canyons there's this vehicle pulled over and I saw the trailer had two jet skis I turned around pulled over as a mom and four kids and she said yeah nobody stopped here for we've been sitting here for like over an hour I said yeah it's probably because the, the roads are kind of windy you know she's like but she's like man just you stopping alone just like made me feel so so at ease yeah i mean they need a new axle new bearings you know whatever (laughs) you know it's just amazing how like being in a rush i decided just to pull over for five minutes and see if i could i I couldn't be i couldn't do anything you know just the act of kindness yeah just just stopping and saying hey are you okay do you guys you know is there anything i could do you know but just that thing i think that is is something that we can do in different ways to bring that little bit of light to somebody light's been a theme in some of your commentary and you, you talk about a dream that you had in of Monument Valley yeah. and how it changed your life. Why don't you share a little bit about what that was? Yeah, so a couple of days before my birthday, I, I remember waking up, I was dreaming and, and I remember waking up at 2.14 in the morning in this vivid dream and it felt so real like I was there. And I've had a couple of those um, more spiritually happen sure. in my life. And whenever those happen, it's like, okay, we're doing it, you know? I mean, that was years ago, but I was like, man, I've got to go there, you know? And so I go to this place overlooking all of Monument Valley and you need, you know, a really good, a good rig to get up there because you're going through super soft sand and then you're slick rock and you're, you're going up angles pretty steep. And then you get up there that night. It got super cold. So my birthday's at the end of April. Okay. And that night we got snowed on and I'm just like, Oh, it's windy. Worse than this, you know? And I was like, Oh man. But the next morning, about about four o'clock, the sun, uh, you could see a little bit of light, but it was started. It got really calm. And then by then, like around like five o'clock, you start seeing the tour vehicles, their headlights going through the park, but I didn't see any. I said, Oh, what's going on? And then I just saw one of the most amazing sunrises. And I used my panoramic film camera mm. to create the image. Um, is it one of the Hasselblads? It was a, um, it was a Tachihara. Okay. Yeah. Tachihara four by five back with a, you know, in a panoramic setup. And then I called my friend. I was like, Hey, how come like, I didn't see the school bus or tour vehicles. He's like, well, it snowed so bad that we were not allowed to go in. And so they cancel everything. And so usually by then you see dust, like a layer of that in the valley. Sure. But that image was so clear and so crisp. And then that was in April. And then in uh, in August, um, had the largest uh, uh, fine art show for uh, indigenous artists in Santa Fe. And um, I sold that print for um, 
a really nice paycheck. <laughs> That's, That's great. amazing. Yeah, man. It's like, it just come of that, that dream that I had and realizing like, you know, that why did I have that, you know, vision, that feeling, that like impactful moment. And then I decided to act on it. And then it turned into like believing that, okay, I can make a career out of this. Well, mm. However, at that point, it was, an, it was kind of the beginning of another lesson too, was like, I was really like making really nice images and chasing the paycheck. Yeah. And yeah, that kind of died. It's just amazing that you took that opportunity to, to take something that inspired you, like this dream, and you put it into action and then you ended up with something amazing. So. Yeah. I think that's kind of sometimes a scary point, right? It's like, oh, I've always wanted to go to this place or, you know, go go apologize to somebody that I may have wronged in the past or, you know, just that little bit of inspiration that nudges us that, you know, I think somehow it happens and then it's up to us to them to proceed with it. Yeah. And I think those moments there can be really enlightening in, in different ways. Yeah, no question. You know, I think one of the things we were talking about earlier was, you know, the Gold King mine. I'd love to dive into that because it's, it's fascinating to me that living in Colorado at the time, you know, of the Gold King mine disaster, all you heard about was the water, the fish, whatever. And you had like this totally different perspective on it and how it affected your family. There's always so many sides to a story and it, it, and it blows my mind that that's the story that we didn't hear. I, I would love for you to maybe elaborate on that conversation that we had you know, a little bit earlier. So, so people know more about it because did you know about the whole gold King? Is that the thing? one where they were, they were, in the animus river they were digging on the side of the slope and it, and all the water broke out. Yeah. Well, I, so I went to, um, uh, school in Fort Lewis in Durango. Okay. Yeah. My cousin went there. Yeah. And so the animus runs right through town. Yeah. You know? And so I, I heard about it. I was like, Holy cow. Like that's crazy. And I didn't know how massive it was of an issue until I started seeing that it continued to make it uh, make its way into the San Juan River. Yeah. And right in that right where that confluence is at, you know, that's there's a lot of farmers right there. A lot of yeah. I mean, my aunt lives right there, you know, stones throw from it. And then it started to become more of a serious issue when people were seeing it further downstream like around Bluff, Utah, around, yeah, a lot of you know, Monument Valley area, um, and then even more south all the way to where it comes into Lake Powell, which is, that, that's quite a ways away. Yeah. And so the, it happened uh, at a time also where a lot of, um, you know, people were like, you know, they had crops going, they had hay or whatever else they were just ready to, um, you know, to take for the, for the season. And basically with all that mess, everybody lost access to the water, the people, the, the, the livestock, the crops, uh, the wildlife. I mean, it was, I've never seen a river turn, you know, it's like yellow. yellow. Yeah. Like, it was just crazy. That's terrible. I saw a photo in the New York Times. I was like, a couple of people kayaking in it, but you think they're like in like corn pollen yeah. or something that's like, oh, what's it called? Farina? You know? Yeah, like something crazy. That's super yellow. It's like, you don't envision that. It was not a natural color. Yeah. So, so you had the idea to throw a pallet of water on the back of your truck and that just, you know, that the goodwill that is the, the the common theme through what we're talking about, you know, that light, the small things that you can yeah. do just really spiraled. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. the So I had an assignment to go out um, and then I was also getting pr- uh, ready for my largest, my only sh- photography show of the year, again, in Santa Fe. I just built a little website, um, you know, a lot of drag and drop, you know, and I said, you know, hey, if you, if you buy this image, you'll get a file and you can print it like an eight by 10, you know, it's yeah. just really five, 10 and $20, you know, um, increments. And I figured it's like, oh, maybe I'll just go to my big, you know, store here locally in Salt Lake and then throw a big pallet of water so I can go take that down to a grandma, a grandpa or a single mom or somebody that just could use water. Went away for four or five days, came back, logged in. I just remember telling, you know, my wife's like, 
holy cow. And she's like, what's wrong? I was like, uh, we have another problem. Because I did the math and the calculations. So my idea was basically to go get a truckload of water. It turned into being able to buy uh, seven semi-trailers of, of drinking water. That's crazy. So it's just like, at that point, that was the turning point, I think, in my career where I could use photography in, in to, a way that To I make never the had. world better. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, I mean, when you look at seven semi-trailers of plastic bottles that we, we instituted a crazy, rigorous, strict, you know, recycling process because yeah. we didn't but, want... But that, that was the only way to really deliver it effectively. Yeah, nobody else it. was out there. No, yeah. the, you know, no major, like, uh, natural disaster team was out there. It's just kind of grassroots, and um, to this day, they still... Which is crazy to me. I mean, it affected a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, over tens of thousands of people. It's just pretty wild. And um, so from that, I mean, that then sprouted is like going to visit these families who live, you know, close to the river or out there. And then I would ask them, like, oh, what do you... Do you have power or electricity? What's kind of the story about that? You know, like, oh, we don't know when we're going to get power or if we ever will. I was like, well, I'll be back in, in two weeks and... Well, I'll bring a solar kit. I mean, I mean, respectfully, I think that a lot of Americans don't even can't even comprehend that there are Americans that don't have power and don't have water, clean water, yeah. clean, clean water, water access. Yeah. Like, I'm somewhat aware of it, but you know, after talking to you earlier, I'm just like, what? Yeah, like that, that's it's it's 2022. We're like, you know, Jeff Bezos is spent sending himself up into space, <laughs> yeah. and and this is still and people aren't able to get access to clean water. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I get that all uh, quite a bit more regularly now. It's like I was thinking about sending my kid to like you know some other country, and is there a way I could just send them over to you know? I, like the issues are somewhat similar. However, it's just right here in in the southwest of this country. You know? Yeah. I think it's really eye opening for a lot of folks that don't realize that what's going on, and you know, with the pandemic, all that really did was address the challenges we have for our elders. Uh, we call them the the, the knowledge keepers, okay. you know, and, and then also brought a, a lot more awareness of like what the situation is. Yeah. Um, however, it's it's just not like the Navajo Nation that's this way. It's almost every other indigenous tribe and yeah, you know, throughout you know North America. Why are people getting left behind? Like, what is what, what do you think is causing that? Um, the sh- the way the the some of the regulations are structured. Okay. Um, like to to things like starting a business or being able to build a home. Um, so I just went through this process, for example, uh, to have a home site lease of one acre. Basically, I'm You said your home site was south of Page. Yeah, um, on the Navajo Reservation. Okay. It's all along the Echo Cliff, so we have an, an amazing, yeah, beautiful view. Beautiful area. Yeah, however, um, I had to go through a two-year process for them to clear uh, that, and then I'm basically renting our land from the federal government for about the next 70 years. And after that, it goes back to them. So, does that seem so a any of stuff to anybody else out <laughs> yeah. there? Well, just that's a big investment for you to build a home and everything. Yeah, there are you know things in place where like I'm limited to be able to what I can do and what I can't do. The other the other thing too is that a lot of families, um, you know, prefer not to move to like uh, like a neighborhood, right? Yeah. Where you got neighbors, you got you can run a big pipe water line in and electrical line in. However, it's like okay, well, how do we then have like our livestock, our culture, which is heavily based around, you know, the land, the wildlife, the animals and, and the language. And so a lot of that is really intricate, you know, to be able to run, you know, a water line from one home to another because we're not on a grid system. Yeah. The, the cost would just go through the roof. Yeah. And so yeah. some of those are just like. So some of that I understand is just like logistics, yeah. logistical yeah. hurdles, but I can't help you get to lease the land that is rightfully yours 
from the government and you can't own it. Yeah, um, I, I, like I never knew that. Like I never will be able to own it. No matter how much you improve it. No, yeah. but I could buy a home here and say, this is my land yeah. forever, right? Yeah. As long, or our house in Salt Lake. That's just, that, that, you know, you have those aha moments and you start to realize, you know, when you drive through, through, through Navajo lands, you notice that the, the quality of the homes isn't what you would see in, in, a, in another city or whatever. But I've just had this, this, that aha moment. And it's like, oh yeah, that's why, why would they, why would they, why would anybody invest into the infrastructure, you know, or, or, or anything if yeah. in, in 70 years, what do they do? They just bulldoze, you know? Yeah. Who knows? But we'll climb over that fence when we get there. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, quite wild. So yeah, there's, there's, um, you know, a lot of improvement. And I think, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm so optimistic, you know, I was like, okay, we've got an issue and what can I do to help be a part of the solution, yeah. you know? And yeah, I mean, we were talking a lot about, you know, the kind of the film traffic stuff that you're doing, you know, to bring power with goal zero, not, not to be like commercial or anything, but I think it is cool that, you know, goal zero is kind of stepping up the plate on that stuff. Um, you know, and, and then moving on from that, but you know, like, let's talk about that on, on, you know, how you've used photography as this springboard. You started with the water and now it seems like you have these projects coming up and that you're, and, and things that you're doing now that are just, you know, you're, you're pushing even further. You know, with our, the, the great thing with Goal Zero, you know, they, they've helped us uh, power over 500 homes. And so later this year, we're going to power another 100 homes right around when the kids are getting back to school. Um, and so the big thing there was, you know, personally, I grew up without running water or electricity. And so rather than do my homework, I'd rather make sure we have all of our lambs and our sheep and that coyotes aren't coming around because that's important to us, you know? And so with school and education, I fell behind. I mean, I remember doing my homework like in front of my, our wood burning stove or. Education is great, but so is the essentials for living. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go somewhere, what am I going to eat tomorrow? You know, how much more water do we have and how much gas is in the truck? And when can we go make the next run to town? Yeah. Like those are always just naturally in the back of your head. Like you just never, you just don't stop thinking about that. And so when you get a homework or a project or, you know, a scholarship opportunity, it's like, you know, sometimes those things can take a back seat, you know? And so, um, so fortunately over the years, we've been able to, you know, since 2015, actually the week right after we did the water delivery, Goal Zero said, Hey, we would love for you to come down because when we go visit these grandmas and these grandpas, we don't speak Navajo. We haven't found anybody that could help us translate how, you know, solar panel, cables, lights, how the power (laughs) turn things on. How it all works. Yeah. And so I went down and it was just amazing. Um, and and then I asked them, what can we do to do more of this? And then we began putting ideas together. And then uh, recently um, we started using bigger uh, 400 watt system solar panels and then um, uh, 1500 watt batteries, yeah. uh, which is huge. Which is enough to power the kids' Chromebooks that they're coming home from school. Chromebooks. Um, and we recently partnered with uh, Dometic. So now there's families that have a refrigerator and so, so they keep food longer. Or? Yeah. So they keep food longer, they eat healthier. And you just don't think of these things. Like I'm not trying to dwell on it, but the, the disparity uh, between the quality of life, you just, yeah, these are real, real I, problems. Just, that like, are being solved. Like, I mean, maybe this is what makes a great podcast, but I'm just so curious about this because you don't hear these stories. You don't hear people talking about this stuff. Most people, when they, when they experience Navajo lands, it's something that they're blowing through to get to Lake Powell with their boat or, you know, they're, they're towing their rock crawler to Moab and it's like, Oh, I don't want to stop here. I don't want to do this, but they don't actually have any, any frame of reference as to like why there are issues, what's causing them. And, you know, as you're saying, just that little bit of, that little bit of light on a, on anything can just 
help bring people together and understand like, you know, what's actually, what's actually happening. Yeah. And, and how do, how do people find out more about what you're doing with providing water and power and the refrigerators? Do you have a website that people can refer to? Uh, yeah, absolutely. They can go to um, heartofamerica.org. Heart of America is a, uh, it's a nonprofit uh, based out of D.C. It's really about providing uh, education transformation spaces, addressing the inequity in education. And so sure. we work with, with a lot of schools across the country with like uh, NBA teams, NFL teams. Um, awesome. Uh, you know, one project I worked on is in Baltimore, which that's kind of a tough area too, you know? Sure, yeah. And in a day with a bunch of volunteers and none of the players were there, but like staff, trainers from the Ravens came. And in a day we planted over, I think like 75 trees. We built two outdoor classrooms and just put in amazing like out- outdoor lawns where amazing. it's like, this, this really, it's like a school just got in a crazy facelift and, and the kids and the teachers are just like, this isn't the same place anymore, you know? And so out here, it's kind of really going back to the basics of providing power so that a kid can do light, you know, under, um, you know, a, a solar lantern as opposed to yeah, I mean, like kerosene, you, which is you not that healthy. those things. Yeah, like you, you, you've got the kerosene lamp going, which then costs money. You can't do your homework if you don't have light because you can't see. Yeah. Like it's those little things. Or charge think, the Chromebook. Or, 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 or charge the Chromebook, whatever, yeah. But, you know, you have those, you know, most people consider them, you know, small things like lights or this or whatever. Well, then you're like... Then you, then you start to make the connection of how how everything really is connected. You can't do the homework if you don't have the power. No refrigeration. Like I mean, I, I can't imagine living in my Jeep without a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they have to deal with day to day that yeah, way every day. Last year it was um, it's just a reality check to like yeah. how easy a lot, particularly in this space, how easy a lot of people have it. Yeah. Wow. It's just one of those things that pretty amazing. Yeah. It kind of makes you think of like what I think also at the same time of like what we do have access to, you know, I mean, I live in Salt Lake and I'm always grateful for, you know, what we do have there and remind our kids of like, you know, you're in the third grade right now. However, you know, you look at kids the same age as you go back home, you know, those kids are at least two to three grades behind. Sure. And now two nine-year-olds there's a four grade difference between the two, you know, it's, it's, it's it just keeps just falling a little more behind. And so that's what we're really excited about is to bring that opportunity because they are the future, you know, yeah. they're going to be the ones um, finding solutions for us when we get older in some sure. way, shape or form. And so to be able to provide them an opportunity to kind of um, make it, make it somewhat equal as possible is just really a fun Really a fun mission. So Heart of America, we we work together um, with uh, Real Salt Lake. Um, we install uh, solar kits on like a dozen homes around southern Utah. And then that just grew and grew. And then um, Solve Energy, if you go towards uh, Monument Valley, they, there's a big solar farm there. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, yeah just so, on the south side of the road. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just right there. Buttes. They reached out and they said, hey, we've got this check that we can give to a nonprofit. So um, whenever you start yours, we'll send it over to you. And then the pandemic happens and I'm like, okay, my bandwidth just got like to zero. Sure. However, could we send that check to over here to Heart of America? And we still do the same thing because sure. we're now addressing education. And that just took off like crazy. And That's it's been, amazing. Yeah. We, so during the pandemic, we delivered over 10,000 uh, distance learning kits, uh, Goal Zero solar lanterns, already powered about 100 homes. Uh, with the bigger Goal Zero batteries and the Dometic refrigerators. And so it's just, the next thing now is going to be internet. So my vision is like, how can somebody we've living... Few, we've got a few SpaceX employees that... Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, um, I've got, got a kit. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I've got a, a friend who has access to that internet in yeah. uh, just south of Navajo Mountain, and he's like, it works. It's unbelievable. That, I think, is going to be uh, the next. Try to figure that out because our kids, they read books, watch um, educational things from their school because we got Wi-Fi in our truck, and they do all their homework right there whenever we're out camping. And, sure. And they continue to get ahead that way, you know? And, yeah. Um, and so to give a kid that same opportunity is just... I can't wait for that day. It changes everything. It yeah. does. Well, one of the things that's really neat about your your history is working with National Geographic. It's for me, it's always been a publication and a and an entity that I've admired. So, talk a little bit about your experience with National Geographic. What projects you've done with them? I got an email from them, and I just ignored it. I was like, this is spam, you know? Yeah. yeah this cannot be real. This is not, no way, this is junk. Yeah, they're whatever. Trying to, they're trying to get me to sign up for a magazine subscription. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two weeks went by and then they reached out again. I was like, all right, this is real because I, I replied back. And then they re- they wanted me to contribute on the adventure side, you know, more like sure. overlanding. Yeah. You know, show trucks and... I was like, okay. And I said, I've got this idea where I'm going to compress an image with like a 600 millimeter lens with the with the biggest full moon of the year. We're going to be at the Bonneville Soft Flats. I'm going to open up my rooftop tent and then put the moon right in that hole. Uh-huh. And it, it was the, so that's where like apps and like, you know, technology came in. I was like, okay, where do I need to be? Degrees and angles and shutter speed time, you know? And that was just so fun Amazing. To, to, to pull off. And it kind of goes back to the canyon of like, we have 17 seconds of light here. Oh, yeah. We have to move here for four <laughs> seconds. Of yeah. There was a reason why you learned all that. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and even with my film, when I go out photographing nowadays, like my light meter anymore, because when I had that light meter for like three years, I made probably over 20,000 note cards of I'm here and I'm metering this. Here's the weather, the situation, the clouds, the light. If I had a camera, here's what my settings would be. And I just really memorized those. So now when I go out, it's just like, okay, here's kind of the light situation we're in. You're um, your own light meter now. Yeah. You, you look at it and you know. Yeah. The, you're, you're the one person that can use like an old school, like an M2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. But an experience that I had with, uh, with Nat Geo was, a, was really um, uh, one that heightened my, I think, sensitivity to the images that I create. And I sent, you know, a handful of images to them and they just said, you know, for what we want to put out there, your images are just a little soft meaning like a little out of focus. And I was like, wow, how did they see that? You know, like, how did they find that? And it just made me so much, it made me become more aware of what am I focusing on? Mm. And and how is that? And my approach to photography to create great images that they would happily use and share and allow me to write about. It's an amazing opportunity um, that came my way. And I always say, you know, I'm a kid that Grew up in a home no bigger than these chairs right here. Yeah. You know, it's probably 600 square feet. And and I think sometimes I still feel like I, I don't matter because I come from nowhere. Yeah. You know, and, and nowadays I, I love to say that create great work, create images, and you just never know who's going who it's going to impact because I think to say thank you to somebody, it takes energy or courage to genuinely say, I was inspired by that. You know, we're shy about that, I think, as people, right? I try to do that more. And and whenever that happens to me, I always try to, you know, establish a relationship and, you know, return that gratitude for them taking the time to look at my work. Well, it's your work is beautiful. It's, I mean, some of those images of, of that place, which is one of my most favorite places on the planet. I mean, Southern Utah and Northern Arizona, 
every time I go through there, it completely captivates me. To see the work that you've done there, you know, it just re- makes me realize that I've got I've got so many <laughs> levels to go of my own work. Um, when I see work like you've done, it's just absolutely incredible. You drive a Nissan. I do. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your Overland truck. So I've got a uh, 2020 uh, Nissan Titan. Uh, it's a Pro 4X. Got it before dealers had it. Had a really great opportunity and um, built it out. So I've got a, I'm running 35s from uh, General Tires X3s, Thule rooftop tent, awning, a Dometic uh, CFX 75. Uh, fridge. Yeah. Kids need ice cream out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> we Chesney all, need, out. We all yeah. need ice cream. And that's the coolest that's thing. Like the biggest flex. It's like <laughs> yeah. you're in the desert and then you walk into somebody eating an ice cream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's totally the biggest flex. It yeah. is, yeah. And then when you're at a campground and then we're making cotton candy. Yeah. You know, it's like oh, no, we, we bought this little cotton candy maker for our daughter. Yeah. So it's a really fun truck and um, I love using it for, you know, like, so once a month we try to take one of, so we have two kids, uh, Denali. And so once a month I'll take one kid and my wife will take the other and we'll go overnight and do something. And the kids are always like, let's go camping, you know, but we've put that responsibility on them. Okay. What do we need? What's the weather? Which way is the wind blowing? Sure. And, you know, like what are we going to have for breakfast, lunch, dinner? And you know, they're part of it. I load it. Um, and then when we get out and and 100% like a bonding moment, you know, yeah. where we talk about like important things, wild horses, squirrels, the environment or constellations, you know. And, and one question I always ask them every single time is, you know, bubblegum, how can I be a better dad? Or to my son, I'll say this. I don't know how many him, parents ask that question. It's, it's, it's a scary question because these kids will tell you. <laughs> and and then say, that's okay, amazing. we'll tell you what from, from this. It's aha moment. It's like. <laughs> Huh. Not a lot of parents ask that question, but maybe they should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, what, what are some of the things that, that you'd like to share that you've learned from that? Um, you know, um, practice soccer with me more. Yeah. Help me a little bit more with my homework. Sure. Um, teach me more Navajo. Yeah. You know, uh, like my one of my funner ones with my daughter, just how I know it's been too long is like if I'm not somewhere with painted nails. You know? <laughs> sure. I look at my hands and I'm like, it's been a minute. Yeah. yeah. It's been too long. Sure. And so my daughter, we just FaceTime yesterday and she's like, cause she knows I'm here and what this event's about. I said, dad, when you come home, can we go camping? Yeah. It's been, awesome. it's been a while. That's great. You know? Awesome. I said, yeah, that's a big indicator is like how long do I have like pink nails or my toes or whatever, you know, it's just, just fun. It's really innocent moment where it's wonderful. Yeah. You're there with another human being. You're there with another soul that's thinking things and they're reacting to their surroundings and their own environment. And it's just like the most beautiful thing to see them blossom, you know, mm. in return, I'm also led to figure out like, how can I be a better, you know, a role model to them? And, and then we make goals together, you know, look at our accountability. We talk to them about important things about where, you know, to their age group, yeah. how they can also be, um, like this morning is like, Hey, you know, uh, be a friend, be kind and have a blast. Yeah. Like, that's our daily rule. Every day when you go to school, be kind, have fun, and you know, be a friend to somebody. Yeah. And so we could all get that advice. More <laughs> yeah, often. for sure. Yeah. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned 
and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. For sure. Yeah. And they remind, they remind us uh, whenever we go driving, like, oh, dad, you're going to pull over. They got a flat. You know, I got an impact. I've got a, you know, yeah, old jacks. Jacks. yeah. Yeah. And it's just amazing how like it takes three minutes to help somebody and you never know who you're going to pull over and help too. Yeah. Well, I've got one more question on the, sure. on the kid thing before Matt's question. But, um, so your daughter's name is Denali. Our son your is son, Denali. Son, your son's name Our is Our daughter's Denali. name is uh, Aurora Winter. Now you spent a lot of time in Alaska. So what, yeah. what inspired you to name your son Denali? There's one major inspiration that came from that is, um, in the early 1900s, uh, when the weather was a little bit different, um, my great grandmother, she lived with us in her late age. In early 1900s, she saw the Northern light. Um, back home with like an hour and a half north of here. And I just remember her talking about the colors, the movements, the swiftness of it, and then also the sacredness of it as well and the, the prayers that she offered, the, the offering that she made, uh, the songs that she sang about our relatives of the north, the holy people of the north. And I just never forgot that because I was a little kid and she explained everything, which is so much more descriptive in our own language yeah. than Navajo. Um, I never forgot it. And so when I found out that um, we we're going to have a daughter, I said, you know, I want to tie her name forever to that story from my great grandma. Mm. And that's where we got um, Aurora Winter. They mostly call her bubblegum. Um, and then Denali was uh, the significance of like, you know, the naming of Mount McKinley going back to Denali. Yes, yes. And then it meaning the, the high one or the grand one or the tall one, the, you know, in terms of like height, but also impact in terms of like, what does that name mean to you? You know, so my best friend married a gal that's half Tlingit and half Lumbee, which is not a federally recognized tribe in North mm-hmm. Carolina. And so we would go to Alaska a lot. And I remember the first time I went to Alaska was with my four by five and my burla bag wooden tripod. And I took four plates, four slides, and I spent two and a half weeks up there and I came back with four photos. That was it. it Amazing. Was, yeah, it was just so pure. And it was in June. And I was like, man, this sunset is lasting like five hours. This is crazy. I know. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah it's truly wonderful. Yeah. And the further north you get, it just kind of laps around. Yeah, it doesn't go down. It's hard to sleep. Yeah. And then uh, and Matt, Matt's about ready to go to Alaska. Yeah, so I, I, leave, I leave on the 10th. Oh, wow. So we're going to go all the way up to Tuktiaktak. And then oh, no, I'm going to go off for two months. I, I, I know I'm heading north. That's what I know. Jeez. So you're going to have a fun time. If you ever get a chance to go, I say go in the winter. Okay. I photographed the Northern lights about two hours North of Fairbanks. And when I, I remember it was negative 50 and open the door in like two seconds, everything freezes. Like your clothes will just get like hard. Your nose will like freeze and it's like hard to blink, you know? And it's just one of the most like unearthly moments I've had. And the Aurora is something special. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I recently saw it in Iceland on another assignment with Sony. And so uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It really is. Yeah. You know, you had an interesting, when we were chatting earlier, you, you were telling me about the, you know, the Navajo family structure. There are no cousins. I, I had never known that or, or heard that before. And I, I feel like people just want to know that everyone's a brother or a sister, or your aunt is yeah. your mother. Yeah, so whenever we are in a setting like this and we introduce ourselves, we always say, which is like good morning or referencing the time of the day, you know, which basically means hello, my relatives and my people. 
you know, and so so there's no real division amongst being uh, what we say the holy five finger people. You know, it's um, so in our culture, um, like our kids will call my sister, and your arrangement would be her their aunt, right? Yeah. But for us, it's Shema, my mom. You know, so we don't have cousins. So whenever, like a lot of my cousins' sisters served in the military, but I always say my sister served in you know, yeah. over here or over there, or um, and that's just our family structure, and it's all uh, based around like this kinship of Kek, which is our relationships of who, who, who are we with this next person here that's sitting, regardless of where they come from or regardless of you know their background or beliefs and whatever, no matter what. You are my relative because when you take a step back, we are all on the only place we'll all ever call home one time, right? Mm. This red earth under Father's sky. And why should we you know, be something else besides relatives when we yeah. call this home? Second time I've gotten goosebumps on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, I just feel so like now I just feel like terrible. Like the amount of times I've driven through your lands and I don't even know how to say hello. Yeah. You know, I don't know any of that. I mean, where, where can people learn more about the Navajo language and you know customs? Like, because it's just not taught. Yeah. You know, like I mean, it's it's on our doorstep. Like in, in, in Northern Arizona, it is it is on so our close to us. It yeah. is. It is yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's right here. I mean, uh, San Francisco Peak. That's our Western sacred mountain. And it's not. It's not supposed to be called San Francisco Peak. I was reading right because that was. <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. the original name for um, that? Uh, so it'd be the Coastal. We have this Mount Hesperus, Mount Taylor, and Mount Blanca. Okay. And um, and then we have the Colorado River, and uh, you know, so really, yeah. like this is our our holy area that we, when we leave that area, we, we come back with the goodness yeah. and uh, we come back with stories and knowledge. Um, I remember whenever we went, so I grew up by um, Marble Canyon, above it on the Echo Cliffs. And so my grandpa, he'd always say, hey, let's go crazy today and let's go to Marble Canyon and get a Pepsi and an ice cream. You know? <laughs> that was my grandpa going crazy for the day. And I just loved it because anytime we crossed the Colorado River, he'd always take off his hat. And he said, you know, a couple of our relatives helped build this bridge in the uh, in 1920s. And uh, two of them floated away and they were never found ever again. Wow. You know, they risked our lives so that we could traverse this canyon a lot faster and easier. And he'd always offer a prayer whenever we left home. Wow. Even if it was to go get a can of soda and ice cream. Yeah. And then you'd come back and say, hey, you know, we're always you know grateful for protecting us. And, and that's, you know, one thing that, that we always do in our family whenever we're coming back, like by page. You know, page isn't technically on the Navajo reservation anymore. However, before it was, it was on Navajo land. And so, you know, you can go online, um, you know, with YouTube, social media, there's a lot more um, opportunities to um, to learn Navajo words. And even the word like yate, which means hello in English. However, in us is, again, going back to like, I am here with you in this sacred universe. That's the literal like translation of how we say hi. And that's yate. 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 Yate, yeah. Like your kids' names are so thoughtful. Like They're so thoughtful, just, yeah. Like, did they just choose our names out of a book? <laughs> totally. Like, uh, like out of a hat. I think I was named after Wait, a horse. This guy's even named Matt. This guy's Scott. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then, and then for me, like, both of us, 
Let's just give him three first names. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the funny oh. thing, I have three first names, Scott Knights. <laughs> Somehow. So, so the funny thing about story. my dad is um, um, his birth certificate is totally incorrect. So his name is James, but his name was totally, I forget what his real Navajo name was. You know, they basically looked into the Bible and said, hey, you're James. That's how they got his name. Was wow. That. Um, and then my great-grandmother, the same one that taught me about the Northern Lights, yeah. she delivered my dad. So on my dad's birth certificate, it shows that he was born in April. And so years went by. I asked my great-grandmother, I was like, Grandma, was, you know, was my dad born in April during the season? She's like, no, he was born during this time. You know, the lambs were this age. The juniper were looking like this. The sage were turning colors. You know, the wild grass were already turning yellow. And yeah. she, she based my dad's birth under you know around the the environment and nature and it's fun to go back to the very tree that my dad was born at mm. and so you know april is a four right january being one april's four what had happened was somebody initially put nine which is for september and the recorder put a four instead of a nine because my grandmother says you know your dad was born in this month in september on his birth certificate it showed that he was born at tuba city hospital when he was born um, at our summer camp my grandmother washed him with snow after he was born. <laughs> Amazing. So, pretty wild well story. So cool. Well, Milo, we're going to run out of time here. Oh, but yeah. You are an inspiration, man. Thank you so much you. for being on the podcast. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. And we thank you all for listening. Uh, we wish we had some time for questions, um, but we'll have another one tomorrow at one o'clock. So, okay. be good. See ya.